0: Welcome to the 77th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, storytelling, and directing.
1: I'm Matt Enlow, And I'm Oren Kaplan, and today we have filmmakers Luke Corum and Bradley Jackson. They made a movie called Delt, which is about one of the best card magicians in the world. Uh, he's a, actually a card mechanic. He can basically do anything anyone has ever done with cards. He's, like, amazing. And he also happens to be blind, like, completely blind, Like if you turn, he he can't tell you if a light is on or off in a room, and that's how blind he is. And is an incredible magician.
0: Their movie is like, it's moving, it's funny, it's everything you want. It's a total crowd pleaser uh, and a real inspiration. If you're interested in documentary, if you just like plain old good movies, can't recommend Delt highly enough. It'll be out in theaters. October 20th? October 20th and available on iTunes soon thereafter. So check it out. The guys had a ton of great information about how they crafted the documentary and how they made sure that the narrative made sense, even though they didn't have any control over how the story was unfolding in front of them. So I thought it was really great. It's applicable to all filmmakers, but especially if you're curious about documentary, give this one a listen.
1: Yeah, for sure. But before we talk to them, I think you wanted to catch up on something with me. Something with you. So a little (laughs) catch up. I talked
0: to uh, Bill Mann at the PPS group, who listeners will recall, he's the guy who reached out to me. He's a listener, a fan of the show, and I did those Kentucky lottery spots with, with the PPS group. And listeners may recall also that you were a little sarcastic about how you didn't get contacted and how you were waiting for their call. <laughs> so it turns out Bill was like, hey, let Oren know I emailed him. What? <laughs> <laughs> And I promised him I would say so on the show. (laughs) Wait, what's his last name? Man, M-A-N-N. I wonder if maybe it went to, um, do you have like a a contact form on your
1: website or something like that? I do, but it goes to me. I mean, I don't have anything in my Gmail. Hmm. I wonder if he emailed Oren Kaplan at gmail.com, which is not me. Hmm. But people do that sometimes. That could
0: be, well... Um, just so you know, Oren, people are out there looking for you. Wait,
1: Bill, email me. Or maybe he emailed the podcast. No, Bill, Bill emailed me? me. I'll put you put you touch. <laughs> okay, well, that's so that explains the- everything. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Well, cool. Well, man. I thought
0: you'd think that was funny. I certainly did.
1: Yeah, no, it's hilarious. <laughs> well, cool. Well, so let's jump into this interview. Uh, anyway, we have uh, Bradley Jackson and Luke Corum here hello. sitting with us, producer slash writer and director of Delt.
2: Hello, hello.
3: Hello. Um,
1: Welcome, guys. Thank, hey, thank you for The movie about us. farts,
2: right? Yep. Whoever smelt it. Deals no, but that's, okay, so
3: that's Bradley Jackson. I'm going to distinguish uh, my shelf, myself from him. And this is Luke Corm, the director. Uh, yeah. So when you hear jokes, that's Bradley. Yep. When you hear thought-provoking, great stuff that you want to hear sure. about how to make films, that's Luke. Let's great. edit that last line out a little more. <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh,
3: just
1: kidding. No, That's
2: um, Bradley. You can edit my line over, that's Luke.
1: So uh, I watched Delt last night, and the coolest part about it was that you guys sent me a Vimeo link. And I just played it off my phone and streamed it to my Apple TV, and it looked yeah, like it's amazing. Cool. Oh, that's just like, cool! Yeah. We worked really hard on except that. Except I yeah, couldn't. Yeah. The, the good part for you guys is I couldn't like be doing anything on my phone while I watched the movie. So
2: that's the way we planned it. <laughs> it's pretty.
1: Awesome. It's been a really long time since like I watched the movie at home without just like checking my emails or anything. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, you Thank you, you I, picked uh, the right movie to pay attention to, or right. <laughs> I got teary eyed and my. I, I was embarrassed because my wife was like, "Are you getting teary-eyed?" And I was like, "No, just what do you want? Stop talking to me." <laughs> well, so
0: so so listeners at home understand a little bit more about the movie. Tell us, give us the log line, the pitch dealt for us, real quick.
3: Yeah, um, so dealt is about one of the world's greatest card magicians. His name is Richard Turner. He is sixty years old, and uh, he is also completely blind. And so this film. Uh, is about his journey, not only becoming one of the best in the world with with a deck of cards, but also him um, coming to I guess you could say coming to terms, but also allowing people to know he's blind because his whole life it is never really allowed to be mentioned. And anytime someone says he's blind, it became a point of conflict. So it's really about him coming to accept the fact that it's okay that people know that, um, but also what I do does stand on its own. Mm-hmm.
2: It kind of starts off, you think it's a movie about a guy who's a superhero, almost. And then what I always liked about when we are working on it is it's a little bit more of, about a superhero who's becoming humbled. Mm-hmm. And by the end, his humbling leads to an acceptance, which makes him a better person, which makes him more super, in my opinion. So.
1: And he's a black belt martial artist, Yeah, so three black belt. So, you know, little things like that.
2: He is daredevil.
1: And he got his black belt while he was blind.
2: Yes. Yeah, yeah. he's been blind since the age of nine, so it's Yeah,
3: he started losing his sight at age nine and was told at that point, you will eventually lose all your sight. Yeah,
2: he was legally blind at 13, and then by the time he was 40, he had he became zero light perception, so he, he can't tell if the lights are on or off.
1: So, and do you guys know, I know in the movie, he says he contracted a disease that made him go blind.
2: <clears throat> yeah, so he says that
3: um, him and his sister both had scarlet fever, um, but and that's true, but there is no real distinct. His sister is also uh, blind, and that's kind of like a reveal in the film when you watch it, a little plot twist. Um, But it's really not certain exactly what it is that he has. Like We know it's something that was in his family. It's just not certain exactly. They say macular degeneration, which is a broad term. Basically a hole started in the middle of his vision and went outward. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I thought you guys did a really good job of illustrating that in the movie. Well, you know, what's cool about that is the guy, one of the people that did our visual effects, um, one of them um, who works on that, he is somewhat blind in one of his eyes. And so he actually gave us some, so I would talk to Richard and be like, hey, Richard, what was it like? Because he vividly remembers. Richard Turner is the subject of the film. He was like, it was like, it was like, you know, I remember it going dark in the middle and stuff. And I remember it being kind of blurry, and then the guy who did visual effects was like, it's also kind of smeary, mm. you know, it like smears across the screen. So they did that, and when they first sent us the first samples, we're like, this is really good, you know, yeah. that was really cool.
1: That's cool, and your VFX guy is like, everyone's always hated my VFX because I never really do anything in the middle of the frame. But you guys are the first people to appreciate <laughs> the that. The first people to ever do that, yeah. Um Bad joke. Hashtag bad joke. Um, so, cool. Well, I imagine that most interviews you guys have been doing, I know the movie's coming out soon, right? October 20th, yes. Hey, congrats, guys. I should also say, I saw it
0: at Hill Country a couple months back,
3: mm-hmm.
0: uh, and it killed. I. It was such a blast to watch. Everyone had such a great time. Like, I think you guys already had distribution at that point. Yes. Yes, yeah. But it was just like it's so awesome to see something like that and know, oh man, this is just going to go over so well with audiences. Right. Yeah. So,
1: um,
0: not to cut you off, Warren, but were you going to ask distribution
1: or? No, I guess it, because I know you guys are kind of promoting the movie a lot now because it's coming out soon. Mm-hmm. I imagine most of your interviews are probably about Richard Turner, about the movie, sure. about how you found him and all that stuff. But I think what. We can what I'd prefer to dive into is like really how you guys made the movie, you yeah. know? Like, yeah. Yeah. Th- this like,
0: is our first documentary on the show, actually. Oh, well,
1: cool. yeah, yeah. well, we've well, had Abby Fuller who directs oh, Chef's me, table yeah, yeah. on Netflix. Ooh, nice. Oh, right on, um, yeah, but
0: awesome. she, there's a little bit more of a uh. There's a she, format
1: right. and a structure that she was kind of given. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To go and in. she
0: gets to do scene work in a certain sense. You know, there's, yeah. She's setting things up a little bit more. Than, so your
1: first feature doc, that's us. Yeah, yeah.
3: Great,
0: I
2: that's
3: awesome. So. That's fun. Right? If it's
0: not, we'll just say it is. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. Is. apologies to
1: a previous guest. <laughs> so
0: well, that documentary
2: is so probably awful. <laughs> it's a really bad film.
1: Um, but I think it's, because watching the movie, and our listeners, when you guys see the movie, you'll see like there is very much like a lot of twists and turns mm-hmm. and reveals and like it, it very much feels like a structured movie like there's definitely like a third act right yes. the one year later part yes that yeah. kind of well, changes that, every, like at first i thought it was an epilogue but then it was, it's like very much its own
3: yeah i mean if you watch the, if you go out thing. and just google delt trailer you'll watch it and you'll see what we're talking about yeah there's definitely a, a big arc in the story so by the way, the, the trailer drops on Friday. So. Oh, great. Oh, cool. people, so then, when this um, comes out, it'll be out. It'll be out, great, yeah, perfect. perfect.
0: That's yeah, why yeah. I just said that. Yeah,
1: yeah. So, so we'll definitely have the trailer
0: in the show notes for Sweet. people as awesome. well. Awesome.
1: Yeah, um, but so I guess I'm just curious how, It, it maybe give us the quick version of how you found Richard Turner
4: mm-hmm.
1: um, and decided, you know, <laughs> got, it, got into making a documentary about him uh, and then maybe, I, I'm just curious about how you figured out the structure and what to shoot,
3: you know? Well, okay, so basically to sum it up, uh, Bradley came to me and said um, his roommate had heard about this magician who's incredibly talented who's blind.
1: You
2: know how when like you have a roommate or a friend who doesn't work in film Mm -hmm. and they go, I've got a great movie idea for you, and then you automatically go, I can't wait for this conversation to end.
1: Sure, right, (laughs) Um,
2: sure. This is the one instance (laughs) where this worked out. I'm not joking.
1: That version is like 5% better than the, the version of when someone comes and says like, oh, you should make a movie about my life.
2: That has happened to me a few (laughs) times as well. But no, like I, so Luke and I made a documentary before this called Lord Montague. You can watch it on Amazon or iTunes. It's about an iconic British aristocrat. Um, And it was just kind of a, a, a really amazing experience for the both of us getting to work on that documentary for three or four years. And then when we were done, Luke and I kept talking like, what should we? try and find another film to work on? What do we do? And I knew Luke had this background in magic. And Luke would kind of casually mention, like, oh, yeah, I used to do magic. And I'd be like, can you show me a trick? And he'd be like, no, no, no. He'd kind of be embarrassed by it. I don't know I don't know why. I think magic's pretty cool. And then randomly when my roommate, uh, Taylor Woodward, if you're listening to this, thank you for this, was just like, I've got a great idea for a movie. Um, I met this guy's half-brother, who is the world's greatest card magician. And immediately I was like, "Oh, that sounds cool. Luke, maybe maybe Luke would be interested in that." And then he goes, "Oh, but he's blind too." And I immediately <laughs> yeah, go, "He might like, not be that interested." <laughs> yeah. And I was like, "I'm not interested anymore. I don't want any <laughs> of that." No. I was like, I pretty much was thinking this isn't real. That's one of those urban legends. And sure. I yeah, so yeah. he's like, "No, his name's Richard Turner. He lives in San Antonio. Mm-hmm. He's like 58, 59 years old at the time." And I got on the internet, and I, I looked him up, and his website was terrible. Excellent. Um, like but he had yeah. amazing but he <laughs> videos. Had a, but like I would yeah. I'd be like, yeah. no, he's the real thing. And so I called. I pretty much, within 10 minutes, I called Luke, and I was like, look into this guy. So him. he
3: called me when he yeah. told me Luke... Uh, this guy, Richard Turner, it rang a bell in my head. Mm-hmm. Initially, I thought, this is a great story. I'm really excited. I call my dad. My dad made his living as a professional magician for many years in the 80s. Oh, okay. He wrote okay. a book on, books on sleight of hand. He's known in the sleight of hand community. He's What's your dad's name? Danny, Cor- well, Danny Corum would be how you'd know him if you look him up as a magician. It goes by Dan. But Danny Coram has a book out and stuff about it. And I performed alongside him until I was a teenager. Sure. So magic is yeah, very yeah, so, yeah. something very ingrained yeah. to me. And um, I called my dad up and it's exactly so I was like, "Dad, have you heard about this guy Richard Turner?" He's like, "Luke, I've been trying to tell you. You need to make a film about Richard." And I
0: was going to say the one thing better than like your roommate giving you an idea for a movie is your parents giving you an idea. Right. So you guys a, get both. It That's was a incredible. classic
3: case and I and I was like, "Oh, I do remember, but we were in the middle of finishing my first film and I was like, I I just like, wanted to make that Shut first up, one." True, dad? Yeah, like <laughs> I am trying, trying to, make a me a film. How to make a movie, dad. <laughs> so he calls <laughs> Richard up. He he called him up and he's like, "Hey, You got to meet my son. And turns out Richard had a couple of people, Mm -hmm. um, one in New York, one in LA, wanted to make films about him. I I live in Austin. Uh, Bradley at the time did as well. We drove down immediately to San Antonio and we're like, we got to make this documentary about you. He was like, his response was, I love that you come from a background of magic. Mm -hmm. I know your dad, but I don't know if you can make a film. So I want to watch your last film. I'm like, okay. So I sent him a DVD and I'm like, I mean, I know he's going to listen to it, right? right, right. But you're not going to know what it looks like, you know, the sure. quality.
4: Yeah.
3: Well, little did we know, a guy he grew up with is uh, a guy who co-created Home Improvement, mm. as well as made a movie with uh, Jack with Jack Black, uh, Bur- um, Bernie, Bernie, and yeah. some other stuff. That guy watched it and goes, "Okay, these guys are good." And we got yeah. stamp of approval. Six months later, cool. we're off and running. Awesome.
0: Yeah. yeah. That's the Crazy. dream, right there, guys. So I yeah. think the
3: personal connection. I think that's something really important. Is That I had a personal connection to the subject and the subject matter, and that Mm -hmm. went a long way.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, I guess if I was him, I wouldn't want someone that doesn't care about magic or that thinks it's like a novelty to make a movie. Yeah.
0: Well, and he doesn't. He wants it to be a real movie. It's not just like oh, a bunch of kids like come and waste my time for a few years and nothing ever comes of it. Well, he.
2: It's funny because I think he wanted it to be. If If you were to ask him honestly. Like he wanted it to be like, look how awesome I am. Sure. A little bit. Yeah.
0: Not that because I think that's, that's why you say yes to documentaries. <laughs> right? yeah, exactly. yeah. If somebody, as a person who has a podcast, right? <laughs> like, right.
2: Right. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I think you know that was obviously going into the structure. I think that was what you were wanting to talk about. How do we structure the documentary? Because I mean, a lot of people think documentaries don't involve writing. They just you're just capturing sure. what unfolds but
1: oh yeah i did notice a pretty prominent written by <laughs> yes I, I mean it's a
2: yeah it takes 20 seconds it's a solo title card <laughs> no oh, it's
1: uh, i know i'm joking that's a joke for
2: the you podcasters
1: um <laughs> but but it is something i kind of well obviously i recognized her name because we've been emailing and stuff but it is something that i was wondering to myself like I wonder if most documentaries have written by credits. A
3: lot of them do. You know, I think that um, yeah. the thing with documentaries, especially if it's something that's it's a, it's a subject that's currently living, it's not just historical. You know, we're not talking about just diving into the Civil War or something mm-hmm. like that. But if you're actually following some, something present day, there is no script. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Sure. You don't know that person well enough to know their full story. Right. So with Richard, all we knew was he lost his sight as a kid. He's amazing at cards. And he's this fascinating subject. That's all we knew. Mm -hmm. And then when we got to filming, that changed. And so writing is really, it's ingrained. It's kind of like in the edit. Mm -hmm. It's also in the interview questions you come up with. It's also in where do we go and when do we film and when do we need to be there for what might happen.
2: Very heavy heavy whiteboarding as well. Mm -hmm. a A lot of guessing. A lot of guessing. Well, what's interesting is, in addition to our first documentary, we wrote... Like treatments, long treatments. Like our our first documentary, we actually wrote in final draft Mm -hmm. a script. Really? Yes, with dialogue. Yes, with because he had already done a long filming trip in the UK. Oh, so we so have, I kind
1: of VO and things that are connecting yes. the story. Yes.
2: Yeah. And and with this one we didn't go that far. I think we did that on the first film because time we were you so used terrified
1: Movie Magic screenwriter. Yeah. You <laughs> self like, phoning it in. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, but we wrote like a like a we wrote a 5 outline. page outline of like and the first 10 minutes of the movie is almost exactly yep. as we wrote it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The rest <laughs> of
3: it obviously we couldn't predict, but there's moments in the film that we from the beginning had written out in this document, which we just went back and looked at. It's pretty cool to be like, wow, that actually sure, is sure. In the final film. Yeah, well, and the sister
1: reveal, there's all these things that you know. Yeah. It, what I like about how you guys open the movie is like, first of all, I was... Telling my wife, I was like, "This is about a blind magician, and you don't yeah, ab- address the blindness in like the first for, ten minutes for of quite film. a while." Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. To, long enough to the point where you are like, "Wait, I thought this was about a blind guy."
1: Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah which was, is, I mean, obviously quite right. Yeah. And, well, it's part what, of it. Great. There is a there is a two percent
3: people that will go and watch it. We learned from our test screenings yeah. that don't know, mm-hmm. and so one, we wanted to kind of like let's not address the obvious thing in the room, but also the people who don't really know. Let's make that surprise, but let's just not draw attack, attention to what people know they're going to go see, mm-hmm. right? So, like, let's not talk about it. So right. you forget about it. And I think when you watch Richard throughout the film, there's sometimes you forget he's blind.
1: I forget it when I talk to him.
3: That's kind of the point of the story also is, like, that doesn't matter so much. Mm-hmm. You know, right. when you meet somebody just because he has a visual um, handicap or a visual disability, you know, we all have in a, some ways a disability, but they might not be visual Right, someone might be like someone who's really nervous all the time, but you sure, might sure. not see it. And like, so with Richard, we just wanted to treat him like anybody else, and just let you enjoy him as a person. Then be like, and he's blind, and you're like, wow, now we're going to get into that. You know, it makes it more interesting. Right,
1: and I mean thematically, that's right. The that's kind of I feel like what's good about it is the filmmaking is like telling the story just through the filmmaking right. in which mm-hmm. him as a person. He, ne- he never wants to be anyone to lead his introduction as, hey, here's a blind magician. Right. Right, yeah. right, it's like, right. here's a magician, and oh, you might notice later on that he's blind. Yeah. Which is like, well, I, I mean, it's so, like the type of magic he does. In the documentary, he calls himself a like, card mechanic. yeah right yeah. Um, And he does all this magic for our listeners where he's like, Guessing, like you basically tell him what card you want him to deal you, and he'll deal it to you. He demonstrates, he's what's known as a a
3: mechanic. A card mechanic is someone who can demonstrate the ways you can be cheated at the card table. Mm -hmm. So, if you say, How many players do you want? um, What what hand do you want? He'll deal four. You say, You want four hands, four hands. What player do you want? Three, and he'll deal four aces in your hand. He can control the outcome, Mm -hmm. which is just, it's a skill more so than just magic, but it is magical.
1: Right. But it's not just like something that a blind person to be able to do. No, or <laughs> no. a
2: sighted person, yeah. or a person.
1: But that's yeah. the thing, even people with sight can't do what
3: Richard does, which is pretty incredible.
0: Right, well, and I think also you guys do a great job of really illustrating the level of obsessiveness, right? Yes. Like he yeah. it, early in the film, he's like taking you through like he has like a stockpile of like cards, and he'll
1: go through like I don't rem- don't remember how many. A well, he day, makes this but joke like, that he goes through like three packs a day. Yeah, yeah right. Three and pack a day habit. Yeah, right. He yeah, used to yeah, have a me. six pack a
0: day habit. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah, and
1: literally like, but they're packs of
0: cards. He's yes. he's shuffling cards constantly. sixteen hours a day. Yeah.
2: yeah, yeah, he and it's it's all genuine. Actually, the only time I've ever seen him without cards. Is when we were doing his main interview mm-hmm. for the film because we were miking him and we had a boom mic and a, and a lav on him and you can't have a guy shuffling cards sure. and making that yeah. sound right. and he was he was a little agitated. Oh, as soon
3: as we take breaks, it was like a smoker. He would immediately reach down and pick up that deck and yeah. start shuffling it. Yeah. It was almost like you could like feel, like if we had like a heart monitor. You would feel his heart go down. Like <laughs> yeah. you'd hear it. Like so it yeah. was amazing. Well, his
1: wife tells a story that they're like having sex and she's like. Here is like... <laughs> yes, he's yep. known and for making love while shuffling a deck <laughs> yeah. of cards. But let me ask you this. Do you think if you handed him any card from the deck, he could feel what card it is?
3: I don't know. It's a, I've, I'll Actually, tell you this. I've seen him do just about
1: anything that I thought was impossible, so I would not rule that out. Because I feel like, there. I mean, he must have this tactile skill to okay, feel... so, so something the that's
3: ink. not in the film, but he is the touch analyst for the U.S. playing card company, which makes all of Bicycle and B cards. Hmm. So about 30 years ago, he called up U.S. playing card company and said, you're ruining the cards. And they're like, I'm sorry, who is this? And they said, You're one, you're cutting the cards the wrong way. In other words, he could tell that they were cut, what's called punching, that they were cutting them face face down instead of face up, I hope I'm getting that right. Anyway, which way the blade was going through, mm. and that they changed their card stock because of the moisture level on the cards. And they were like, let's get back with whoever this is. <laughs> and they went to their the people on the assembly line, turns out everything he said was right. So they said, instead of getting They're angry- like,
1: And what? Miguel on the assembly line had <laughs> like three sandwiches on Wednesday. <laughs> Let's get that back down to two.
3: So he's on retainer with the U.S. Playing Card Company. He yeah. He they send him decks of cards anytime they change anything. He's their touch analyst. That's so they incredible. say he can feel within one one thousandth of an inch.
1: Wow, that's good. So for, to answer
3: your question, yeah. I wouldn't rule it out. <laughs>
2: yeah. He met, as he also says he's he says I don't have my two eyeballs don't work, but I have ten eyeballs. On my fingers.
1: fingers so, yeah. yeah. Right. That's cool. So let's get back to. The structure and kind of how you guys shot the movie, because you have, and I'm kind of curious about what you're saying. Your previous documentary on you wrote in final draft because in this movie there is kind of there's interviews of Richard that are kind of shot beautifully, like on a black background with like really nice right, kind lighting, of your, right? Your studio kind yeah. of talking head sort of. Experience. And there's yeah. the card close-up shots that are kind of used throughout the right. entire film, like the bridges and the waterfalls and the whatever the, yeah. the ter- terms are. That look kind of like they're shot on a really nice camera with really nice lighting. I guess I'm just asking when you're making the documentary, do you just kind of start gathering things and then in the meantime, you're writing the script for like the last thing we're gonna do is shoot these like beautiful interviews that kind of connect everything? Yeah, at at what point are you gathering pieces?
3: Well, I will say it's shooting style. um, The cards in studio was something personally, that was one of the very first things that I wanted to do, Mm -hmm. that I knew immediately this is what we're doing because. Cards are something that are very small and watching magic on screen is cool, but watching it in person is better. And what Richard does is so small with the cards, I wanted people to appreciate the level of difficulty. And the only way to do that without getting inside baseball was to show it in a way that shows the art of it, mm-hmm. the beauty of it. So that decision to bring him in studio use red cameras slow motion under glass tables macro lenses we used because i wanted to show the tacticalness because touch is very important to richard sure so the touch and feel of the cards so that was a pure just artistic um decision richard in studio we shot him in a black background everybody else has shot in their in their home or in a mat in the magic castle in a natural setting because richard talks about uh, I wanted every time you see Richard, he's talking about his past and he's talking about something that's dramatic in his life. And also, just the element of not being able to see, I thought it just made it more dramatic. Sure. It, it's every, a subjective experience, yes. right? Yes. Yeah. So it's just that's different great. when you see that's him great. talking on camera. Yeah. We wanted to make that different, and that was our way to do it. Yeah. So, that, those, the style choices were made day one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would look at some other documentaries and send it to our DP and say, I want him to look like this. So, all the style was never changed from the mo- the f- moment we started filming. Yeah. We knew what we were doing there.
2: I think some of the, the I mean, as far as style goes, I think we were definitely inspired by I think Jira Dreams of Sushi. Sure. Because I, I was not I'm not a foodie. I'm not I like sushi, but I'm not obsessed with it. Okay. Uh, I thought they did a good job of portraying being a sushi chef as an art form, and I think we definitely were talking like oh, we should try and do the same thing for card work because I've never seen card work being shown as really delicate art form. Um, So yeah, that was definitely something we knew. We knew there's going to be, for for lack of a better word, there's going to be some magic porn Mm -hmm. in this movie where people who love magic or who are interested in it are going to go, oh my goodness, look at that second deal or look at that lift or look at that shuffle, that perfect pharaoh shuffle or whatever. Um, and I knew. I think we knew that that was going to be peppered in throughout the whole film, but I think finding that really compelling arc—the arc of the story—was what I mean. Just was the hardest part of yeah. making this movie. Um, There's so, actually
3: some interesting stories about that. I mean, if you want to get—I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, so this is
0: all about inside baseball, guys. So the, the, dig in. Yeah, I
3: will say the biggest decision point came. Um, we have a fantastic editor. Uh, Derek Boonstra is his name. He's done a lot of amazing documentaries. And um, he did a fantastic job. And we are about a year and a half into making the film. And it was very much a straightforward biopic. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of history of Richard. A lot of stuff that's not in the film that is really interesting. I mean, a lot right. of stuff happened mm-hmm. in his life that we cut out, which we could go on forever. But what happened was we realized, like, Asa, his son, was going to be going off to college. We realized how important his mm-hmm. son was in his life.
2: His son is like kind of his eyes in sure. a certain
3: way. Yeah. Meeting
0: him around. And his best yeah. friend. Yes, right? yes. You yeah, know, for sure. Like, and his like work partner. Yeah. Right? Yes.
3: Mm-hmm. And then Lori, his sister, who's also blind. When we did our first rough cut screening, people were just like, because we like to do that early on, people were like, Man, I love Lori. Like, mm-hmm. everybody was just, Lori, Lori, Lori. So we knew that was important. We also knew something might happen when Asa go to college because he's in high school, he's a senior. So what happened was when Asa left for college, that's a big moment in the film, we won't get in too much into it, but we, things were changing. Mm-hmm. And we
1: realized... Like we, in real life. In real yeah. life. And mm-hmm. so we took... Yeah, to me that's like, that's the moment we took where my wife was making... Do what? That's the moment where my wife was like trying to talk to me, and I'm like, just don't talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that's
3: the, that's you know the third act. Really, things get you know the, the stakes are high. Sure. So we scrapped about two thirds of the edit. We had basically a whole movie cut. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, And what we did is we kept the most important parts of Richard's past life, and found ways to continue the story arc, but dip back to them when we most when was need necessary. And that's really what made the movie what it is. Um, it was chasing the story. It was listening. I think there's a great line that says, you, when you set out to make a documentary, if what you start out to make is what you end up with, then you're not listening. Sure. And that's a great thing to think about because when you're in interviews, people are telling you things you didn't know. And when you're with a subject who is present day, his life is changing, her life's changing. Like, you got to listen. And yeah. like look at that footage and be like, Things are happening, this is this is the story, as much as it might pain you know, pain you to scrap a lot of work. Even you've if he, done, yeah, you're throwing away a movie yeah. effectively. Yeah. So I went to a Derek our yeah. editor and I was like, dude, we gotta do this. And he understood. He was like, this is the better story, yeah. and we all collectively, Bradley, yeah. everybody's like, This is the best story, let's do it. So what it was, was
1: the original story.
3: Well, the original story was more about I mean like the has, making of
1: Richard Turner. Well, yeah. there's
3: stuff like, for instance, I mean we won't get too far into it, but he was so far into the when he started losing his vision, he lost all hope for his life. Uh, drugs, etc. I mean, it was real dark. Yeah. So there was a whole another path where it was, a, it was an arc. It was a great arc about to get to where he is mm-hmm. today. So like how he lost his vision, the bottom fell out of mm-hmm. his whole life. Things got really bad. And this is how he,
1: before he met his wife. Yes.
3: yes, and then how he became this incredible card guy, and even some stuff before he met his wife, like some stuff. So it was it was a great film. Um, it just wasn't as powerful as mm-hmm. the the present day character, which Richard is so amazing. We wanted more Richard on camera, more of his family, mm-hmm. more Lori, more that and that that's what resonated with people. Sure. Yeah.
2: I think two documentaries that do a really good job of this. One's very recent, one one we always talked about in the past was uh, The Queen of Versailles. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, which yeah, sure. if you haven't oh, seen that documentary, it's great. It's essentially they start out like we're gonna document, we're gonna make a documentary about one of the richest families in America. Building the largest house in America, and then halfway and it was through, almost
1: about the the guy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: exactly. It was like a puff piece almost, and then halfway through, they lose all their money, right? And instead of instead of like being like, oh, we got to scrap the documentary, like, no, this is a better
0: one. This this is the movie, yeah. yeah. When well, I think as an audience member, like that moment where you're like, oh my god, I can't believe this is happening, mm-hmm. and you have that second where you're like. Oh, the filmmakers are all freaking out right now, capturing this moment. There's that extra layer of fun, and I think that's kind of the the thing that maybe is almost an expectation for filmmaker or for audience members now. When you're
1: looking in documentaries, yeah, you want to surprise them. Yeah, exactly. Well, I do wonder. So there's this kind of subplot about him being nominated for magician of the year. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. Is that something? Like, I guess I was trying to figure out if that was like. A little manufacturer or luck? No, not we manufactured fell into at all.
3: it. You always need a little bit of luck when you're doing this stuff. Yeah. You know, like it's when, like a card game. Yeah, we 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 needed, you know, we needed what happened to happen. Um, he was nominated for close magician for close magician of the year. Um, Don't spoil. Yeah, we won't spoil. It's a big deal. <laughs> anyway, so what happens in the film actually happened, and we were like cheering when both like we knew
2: we had a like sure
0: you're like this is our ending. We yes, did it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, like yeah. It,
3: it really was like. Fortuitous for us,
2: either. yeah, and it definitely like we almost there was a brief moment where we almost didn't film that. It was mm-hmm. kind of like Ugh, we can't afford this, like oh geez.
3: Yeah,
0: so actually that that brings up a great question. I'm really curious about you know the act of making a documentary. Like, how many years did it take you guys to shoot this one? Was three years. Three years. So three yeah. years of your from realized. the
3: time we yeah we met Richard about six months before shooting.
0: And how many people are like in the core team? Like working on this one, actively, six, six people: six, one, two, three, four,
2: five, six. director, writer, producer, producer, editor, DP, sound. Right. So seven. Yeah. Six, seven yeah, 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 yeah.
0: So it's not like that's a ton of people, but that's a lot of people to like be working on a yeah. thing for yeah. this yeah. long. You yeah. don't know if yeah. it's going to be good or not. You yeah. don't know if right. it's going to sell. Yeah. For so sure. are you all like just buddies from back home? How does that? How does one go about making a documentary the way you guys do it? So.
3: Um, I come from a background where I did uh, commercial advertising before I made my first film. Mm-hmm. Um, I made a lot of uh, videos for uh, people that were um, starting, that were angel investors, the people that had startups. Mm-hmm. So I had a network of people that I knew who were in that space. And what happened was when we made Lord Montague, our, our first, first, second, film. first film, and we proved that we could make a film, we then, when we, when we heard about Richard, we went back to the people that helped us make Lord Montague and said, Who do you know? Mm-hmm. Basically we we got a group of people who were either angel investors, invested in startups, invested in uh, real estate, mm-hmm. that type of stuff. Sure, because sure. at the end of the day, a film, an independent film, is like a startup. Right. Yeah. And so this was all privately funded. Uh, we worked really hard and what we did, the ace in the hole was we would we would show them Lord Montague the trailer, mm-hmm. and be like, okay, these guys want to make a film we would tell him about what the film was generally gonna be about, like, this is cool. And then we'd be like, and now we want you to introduce you to Richard Turner. And Richard Turner would come out, and he would perform and tell him about Uh, his story, and people would be like, "Uh, yeah. yeah." So it literally took us about two months, maybe less, before we had half the money for this film.
1: And you would fly him out to wherever you were?
3: Well, we were all in Austin at the time, and Richard is in San Antonio. So all of, like, we would go to San Antonio, do an investor presentation. Austin and in Dallas. Mm -hmm. So, the people that we knew, we would say, Bring someone else. And by the way, even if you don't invest in the film, you're going to see one of the world's greatest card magicians. And they'd be like, I'm in. Can I bring my kids? Like, sure, bring your kids, whatever you want to do. We'd cater it, the whole thing. And it was very laid back and it was very entertaining. Mm -hmm. It wasn't heavy because with our film, we're not like trying to save the world of something where you can just do a nonprofit and Mm -hmm. say whatever. We're making it a person. So, it has to be something where someone's willing to invest and not be like, just write it off. Because sure. that's how you do yeah, it with yeah. other cause right, films. right. So it was really, It was having Richard was our ace
0: in our hole. Yeah, that's so great. So, okay, so you guys, you raise your funds. Are you guys at liberty to
1: say how much you raised? Just We to can't, start we with? can't say, yeah. But, sure, sure. But yeah. It Can you tell us how you go One hundred
2: million dollars. Oh, man.
1: Can you tell us how you go about budgeting something like yeah, that? Yeah, there you
3: go. Yeah, so um, I think we learned from making the first film approximately how much it would cost. Uh, Russell Groves, uh, the other producer, he and I would just sit down Talk about expected travels, mm-hmm. um, talk about the size of the crew. How much you're
2: going to pay me, How much was a huge line <laughs> item.
3: Which was the biggest pain in the butt. We are like, how many days can we afford to put Bradley in studio with this? Probably like five. We're like, oh my
2: God, it's going to cost yeah,
3: us so yeah. much money. Really, it just came down to how many expected days travel. We look at that. How many times are we going to have the whole, like, group, which means, like, six or seven of us travel?
1: Right. And how, uh, you, how can you predict how many days you're going to travel? It's all guesswork, man. Yeah. Um, the, is 20 days, like, uh, no, accurate? No, that's like, not good. 100 days? Uh I think it was around 45.
2: Yeah, I mean, we knew, because Richard is a world traveler and that he yeah. he gets asked to go around the world, we knew that was going to be a component, like... And that's what I think is really great about the movie. Because you guys go to Finland. We go to Sweden. We go to Uh, to Costa Rica. Um, And Richard is like, he just got back from Portugal. So we felt like within the first 30 minutes of the movie, we needed to showcase that he's a big deal. Because Mm -hmm. most people probably have not heard of him. And so
0: it's nice to like. And it's hard to get the sense of like a big deal as a magician. Like, what does that mean? Like, you know who David Copperfield is, but like beyond that, like, what does that look like?
2: Yeah. So when you see him in, in Sweden and you see like. 150 people watching him and like some guys and, you know, talking in Swedish back and forth and like geeking out over him. You're like, oh, so he's just a, he's, he's a big deal. I just don't know about him. Right. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So it's a lot of the, that is guesswork. um, And -hmm. then like working with your editor we worked out a deal with him, mm-hmm. figuring out how much we can pay him, and we knew that editing documentaries takes a long time. Mm-hmm. So we, you always make sure, always make sure to add a good contingency. Mm-hmm. Very crucial. <laughs> never under, under never undersell yourself on that.
1: So, do you, with your editor, do you work out like a flat rate or like a monthly rate? We work out. Rate? We worked at a
3: monthly monthly rate, um, and then estimated how many months we need him editing. It turned out because the story changed where. He was in the editing chair for nine months, and then I was. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it just you can never guess like what's going to happen. At the end mm-hmm. of the day, when you raise that amount of money, you have two choices. If things change, you can go back to your investors and say, "We're going to raise more money and right. reduce your shares." Right. right. Which you don't or, want to do. Which you don't yeah, want to do. Sure. Or B, we're going to make the best story and make you happy, and not may, not we're not going to raise the ceiling on what we're budgeting. And you just have to make that choice. Sometimes it's a, it's a discussion with your investors. For us, we just felt like it's not a discussion. We're not raising this. Right. We're not changing what we said we would raise. And so I jumped in the editing chair for a while and just did double duty and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. we all doubled down. Like mm-hmm. this is going to be worth it. Mm-hmm.
1: And you just, if you know that, you just do it. And yeah. do you guys give yourselves more equity? Like if you're sitting in the editing chair for like nine months and like one of your producers is like off making millions of dollars. Shooting an X Men movie. That was me. Yeah, sure. um, I
2: DP'd the last two X Men movies.
1: Yeah, I yeah. I mean, oh, you hey, saw. I thought yeah, those so looked good. a little, yeah. Yeah. a little. Crack. The white balance <laughs> was yeah. a little off. <laughs> <Sure. laughs> According to uh, some video essay I saw on yeah. YouTube,
3: CinemaSins. Yeah. I, I think yeah. it's all it's all malleable and different. Uh, I think because uh, we had uh, gone through another film together. We mm-hmm. we had internal discussions like, yes, because I was going to be editing and stuff like, if things happen down the line then Luke we will hit you back in this way or whatever but really what you have the main thing is you gotta love the story you all come together and say we're all sacrificing because when you're an independent filmmaker at this stage it's about making a great film And all that stuff's going to come back to you, so don't worry about it. You know, like, can you pay bills? Can you make a good film? And are you in it? Are you in it for the long run? Yeah.
1: And that's really what's. And do you have? You're married. I'm assuming. Yes, I'm married. Does your spouse like say like what you're going to work for nine months without getting paid? No. So my she's
3: amazing. She's amazing, and also like she knows my background of like. I mean, I've I've been an entrepreneur since I was like when I left. When I left high school and went to college, I was making videos all through college, and mm-hmm. I was always making money doing that, and when this film came around, it was like we knew how special it was and the opportunities that can come, and in this business, you have to risk or there is no reward. sure. and um, so it was it was more like a discussion like, this is worth it, it's going to work out yeah. and you know, if I have to take something on the side and we don't get to see each other much for a little while because I'm working all the time, then we
0: do that, and so that's what we right. did. And, and that's just kind of like the terms of your relationship from the get go, anyway. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And great. to
2: to brag on Luke a little bit because I don't do it enough. Uh, I mean, Luke Luke truly was full time for for three years, and 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 not to say that myself and our producer Russell weren't full time emotionally. I would definitely spend two days a week for a few hours a day sitting with Luke, going through the edit. But I was doing other stuff. Russell was sure. doing other stuff and and then when when stuff would when trips would come up for the movie, we would obviously set aside or we would go do that or when editing sessions would come up, but I think that's what a great
1: documentary needs is Sure, there has to be a person to kind of carry the flag. Yeah, and that yeah. was Luke yeah. hands down. So, yeah. Um cool. Can I ask you a little bit about just like the technical stuff? Yeah. Um Let's so geek out. so when you are planning a trip? How many cameras do you bring?
3: What happened was is we did a lot of verite in the film, mm-hmm. so um, initially I thought like we had a DP named Jacob Hamilton and we everything every trip was gonna be planned and we had this because it was originally a biopic, so like mm-hmm. we knew what we were filming. Sure. When things changed, we bought a camera, and I did a lot of filming as well. C three hundred. C three hundred was. Fantastic for us came in the clutch. It's the
2: perfect documentary camera.
3: Yeah, and now they have this the, the next version of it. Mark two. Mark two. It's pretty is, great. It's great. Yeah, it's really good. Um, so this whole film was shot with. For those who want to know, is all with C three hundred and red.
2: Yeah, the red. The, we shot the red for the uh, studio, studio stuff. and studio, the card stuff. Yeah, because yeah. we wanted that extra sure, sure. cinematic look.
1: And the C three hundred does it have autofocus? Or do you uh, I did, focus but everything?
3: you know the update came out while we were filming,
0: so we're just like, screw it, let's just keep going. So, but um, it does have like built-in ND and like it's like, oh
3: yeah,
1: it's a one-man band, it's a workhorse, sort of thing, you know. Right? So Is a lot it better of th- than the HVX two hundred because oh, that's I what say, I get. I would say so for sure.
2: <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs>
3: what
1: about the
2: D- what about the DVX one
1: hundred? <laughs> Ooh, I don't have that, but I do have a PD one fifty. <gasps> yeah, on? buddy. Oh my god, I
3: yeah. do. Yes, I well, I sold yeah. that on eBay sure, sure. several years ago. Good yeah. call.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or held, they'll sell you another while one of you want to. still held them. a dollar. Yeah, <laughs> I just use it as like a prop. Like whenever there's a videographer, actually I use the HBX. Should have a that.
3: display case of these,
1: you know, yeah, retired sure. cameras. Yeah. My right wife would really want seventy-five cameras sitting out here in the living room. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> you should, Luke. You should talk to them about how we shot the uh, the Magic Castle stuff because that's really yeah. So.
3: So basically, just to answer the question. I I would because I could also do cinema like cinematography work. Um, that made life a lot easier. So yeah, yeah. on trips, we'd have um just two cameras. That's mostly what we did. Um, and did you bring
1: lights? No,
3: for interviews. For one. interviews, of
1: course. Yeah. Yes, yeah. interviews. Like interviews. light panels or like a big you keynote cameras. Like
3: we do, like uh, a big bank. I don't know all the terms for all the stuff. I'm just guys. I'm not, writer. I, 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 I just know how to make things look good. I'm not the DP. I just say, yeah, that looks good. That doesn't change the lighting there. Sure, sure. I'll say this. When we interviewed magicians, we wanted it to look like uh, more well-lit, more like theatrical. When we interviewed just friends and family, we'd do natural light. That was a stylistic mm-hmm. choice in the beginning, just so you highlight someone. This is someone right. in the arts. This is someone who's friends or family. The
2: Magic Castle is interesting. If those uh, listeners out there don't know what the Magic Castle
1: is, it is... Oh, yes. It's like exactly what you think it is. <laughs> it is the most
2: amazing place. It's in Hollywood. Uh, it is a very exclusive magic club, sure. adult, adult magic
1: club. And I, it's a castle. Yeah. yeah, it's a castle. You know, castle. It's not Harry Potter. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Not
2: Harry Potter. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. Um, but a um, magician's club, right? So it is yes. exclusive yeah. and kind of like one of the world's, certainly the United States like premier yes. venue. It's an elite place where you have to like audition, uh, be selected to perform
3: there. Mm-hmm. And so Richard performs what's called the close up gallery, mm-hmm. which is made for close up magic and close up magic means you got to be close. So yeah, there's like, it's 16, it's about it's six a raked theater, theater, right? 20, yeah, maybe okay. 20 and it's raked. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it's very tiny. What, I I knew that like I was like we need more we like we gotta have several cameras in there. Well, they told us we could only have one.
1: And there's actual normal guests that yes. are there. Yes. That yes. you are gonna film. So
3: because of Richard, we got more access, mm-hmm. and also because people do remember my dad there, so they're like, oh, oh you're cool. you kind of like okay, so you're one of us type of you know. So then we were like, can we have two? And then finally, like, okay, you have two. And I'm like, can we have three? And like, bottom line is that we ended up having I think around four cameras in there and it is a tiny tiny room and mm-hmm. it was a lot of work it was a lot of work but it, it paid off because you got to get the audience reactions sure. that's what sells it mm-hmm. and then we wanted people afterwards to talk about richard and like so we filmed at least 25 30 shows there mm-hmm. only oh. one of them is used because we wanted the the absolute best reactions because yeah. You know some people might be drinking some nights because the open club, like, yeah, this yeah. is not something we're set up. They do
0: like pump you full of drinks, too. oh, yeah, oh yeah, for yeah. sure.
3: And yeah. so, like, there were sometimes, I mean, he would always crush it, it would right. just depend like who's on his left and his right from the audience right. and whether they were like hammered or whether they had like on like an inappropriate outfit that we couldn't like necessarily use. Sure, and was sure. distracting, so it was a lot of work, yeah.
2: And you had the you had the Is it the Blackmagic camera? We did. We struck that. We initially
3: thought, let's film Richard with an overhead Blackmagic camera. I hated that thing because we couldn't see through it. Um, and when you flip over lights on a dark table, it would like overexpose because it would mm-hmm. try to change exposure.
1: Right. And you have these super white, glossy, shiny it's, it's, cards on a black. Yeah, it was a felt. nightmare. Yeah.
3: So what we did is we, we actually had a manned camera at the top and they told us we couldn't. And we're like, please, please. And like, no. And like, please, no. And then we just did it. And they're like, well, we can't change that. So we
2: had someone behind the camera and it looks great. That's lesson number one mm-hmm. of independent filmmaking. Just ask,
1: right. ask, ask for, for forgiveness, not permission. Uh, okay, so you, so you shot uh, with
2: right. your
0: team, mm-hmm. and so, sometimes you're a little bit more set up for things. It's a little more planned. Sometimes it, you said it's verite. So, like, what's an example of like a time where you maybe weren't planning on shooting and last minute had to like scramble to make something happen?
3: So we decided that whenever it was something that might be really intimate, <clears throat> might be something that was more like at his house with his family, that I would just go. And I would spend, I spent the night. They actually. And you would do sound as well. I would do sound. So I would take a a lav. I would, um, I got really good at it. Uh, I had to learn. I asked our sound guy. I was like, can you, Sean, can you show me how to mic these, like how to do like a really great mic? Like, Like, I'm not going to pay you to to shoot for me. And he's like, why would I do that and put myself out of a job? Like, Sean, (laughs) no, you don't understand, man. Like, I'm going to do this like 80 times. So like, you're going to go on all the trips like everybody else. This is just me. Right. He wouldn't show me, so what I did was I would just watch him obsessively, and I learned. Sean didn't show you. Sean never showed me. Oh, what no. a, so I just what watched him. In He's and like I, a magician, and I would like look,
1: <laughs> a good sound guy never reveals. His I would tricks. look at his kit, and I learned once that, a mic, twice a lesson.
3: Yeah, he was, right. and he was like stubborn about it too. And I was like, sure. we're friends. Like, yeah. come on, Sean.
0: Yeah, I'm right? not gonna
3: bring you anywhere, Sean. Yeah,
0: yeah. He's Sean, I mean, I'm giving this? you points on this movie, Sean. We're not giving him any points. <laughs> no, okay. Fuck that guy. He got Fuck paid. Though, he <laughs> got paid every time, though.
2: He got
3: paid so. So much moleskin, skin, the whole thing. I just looked at his kit and copied it. Yeah, yeah. And um, we got a nice, my, nice mic under the shirt. I would mic up uh, Richard every time. We had this really nice compact boom that would go on the camera. That was like, I think it was like a $1,200 one. So it was like a really sh- nice short shotgun condensed microphone. Again, just looking at what Sean had and yeah, just yeah. like copied all <laughs> right. the stuff and then um, put that on there. It was great. And that helped a lot. So, like in the film, you'll see a scene, for instance, like when Asa goes to college. I was spending the night at their house. And that was, by the way, we didn't really get the good stuff until about at least three months of me going there all the time. Mm-hmm. Because then they stopped caring yeah. and performing mm-hmm. and they're like, oh, Luke's here again. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the guys are here. Yeah. We became almost part of the family right. and they
1: don't act for you. like perform. Do you ever like have to say like, Oh, can you just keep doing what you're doing, but just move like 10 feet away from that Absolutely. giant billboard? Absolutely. I mean, sometimes you got
3: to interject and be like, that's not looking good. But if it's a, like for instance, when that scene, when Asim leaves, he was right next to like a refrigerator and the sound was horrible, but I did not stop him mm-hmm. because he's very emotional. It's like, screw right. it. Yeah, that yeah. does not matter. So you got to make a call like on the spot, like, Verite is very much something that you, you, what you need to do is when you film, isn't that especially when you first start with your subject, go home and watch that every time. You'll mm-hmm. learn what you're doing right and what wrong. Chances are 99% of that you're never going to use because it's the first stuff right. and it's never really that good because they're not comfortable with you. So just learn. like, um, If it's just you especially, you're filming Orin. You know, and then you turn around and you film Bradley and they're having a conversation with each other, how to make that look natural with only one camera is really mm-hmm. difficult. Where to get your cutaways? Like sure, sure. it you just got and then eventually it's just like second nature to you.
1: So what's your method? Like so in that scene, Asa's like on the right and Lori. Well, well, or that, I, uh,
3: that one it was just Richard and then the family. I knew like as soon as Richard was like You know, getting emotional about his son leaving. I raced upstairs because I realized Ace. You know, you know, Ace is probably finished packing. So I go upstairs and I was like, "Stop packing." He's like, "Okay," and I was like, "Okay, keep packing." And it was like, (laughs) but this was like eight months in, nine months in. So like, he knew I might do that, but Mm he he was just ignoring me. So it's like, okay. I'm like, okay, pack. He's like, okay, fine. And he's, he's, he's in his own space. I didn't affect him. I just wanted right. to get the shot right. right. And I'm like, okay, before you leave the room, let me get out of the room. So I'd leave the room and then I'd get him walking out of the, down the and hall. And you'd be like, okay. Yeah, kind of like, yeah. You know, well, yeah, but, but just you try and like not be obtrusive, right. but in a way where it's just like you're letting them live their lives, don't get in their way, especially if it's emotional. <laughs> I will tell you something funny. There's a scene where Richard and his son are throwing a knife <laughs> against a knife board, and they almost they kill almost their dog. dog. Yeah. <laughs> and this is a place where you just don't interject yourself. So, like, I saw the little dog, like, walking up to, like, they're throwing knives at a knife board. If you can just, if y'all listening this can imagine this. And just because Richard is just a wild eccentric character, I don't know why he wants to throw knives at a board. These are know. throwing knives. Throwing yes. knives. So we're like, this is really cool, and he got it from magician friends. So they're throwing knives. And I see the little dog and I'm like, Oh my gosh, the dog is going up to the board. This, Oh my gosh. What if the, what if, Oh
0: my God. Yeah, yeah. Am and, I going to watch a dog get murdered? Exactly. Right <laughs> and
3: Richard can't see. So what if he misses the board? He throws low cause he had missed several times. <laughs> so I'm filming and I'm like, Oh my God, Oh my God, Oh my God. And he throws and it's this great scene because he almost does kill his dog. And I yell Judah and his son yells Judah. And I'm like, Judah! And then I look back in the camera like, oh, I got the shots too. And it's like, <laughs> my first priority was, I gotta get the shot. Second priority was, I also don't hope the dog dies. But like, you can't interject. It's real life. And but, it becomes one of the best scenes.
2: But you know? you've killed a few dogs
1: in your yeah, yeah. We've yeah. all We've just killed. Just for I fun, though. Just for fun. Dogs. Dogs. Well, you
2: did film those, but that's for your personal use. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. right.
1: Well, there is a moment actually in the documentary, Richard's on the couch and he's like shuffling cards and one card falls out, uh, King of Spades or Clubs? Yeah, that's probably. that, yeah. um, And uh, it lands on the couch, like kind of behind the dog, and he's he doesn't know where it is because he's blind, and he's like looking on the couch. He doesn't find it because the dog's in the way, and he looks like on the ground, and he's just kind of. I feel like it's like this moment where you're like, even though he's a superhero, you ha- he has this. He still has this thing that he hasn't come to terms with, right? This issue, and um, you know, obviously as a filmmaker, you watch it and you're like. I wonder, like, how long the camera person is going right. to film this before they tell him where the card is. Right, because you have rapport with them; you know them really well, and they
0: need to trust you, right? So you're still a person, even if you're filming, right? Like, you're. I suppose you must be confronted with that. Yeah, well, that often, was right? that.
3: Like I said, that happened many months into filming. So uh, I remember something like that similar happened early on, and I helped him. But then I learned, like we had this level of trust and also just like, I'm here, but I'm not here. Mm -hmm. And when I saw that happen, I was just like, this is like watching him look for the card was just that this is an important scene and I'm not gonna interject myself. And he knew at that point, like not to ask me and he wasn't performing for me. Mm -hmm. He was literally having his own thoughts, which when you watch the film, you'll see, he's thinking about other stuff at that point. So he's not really thinking about me being there and I'm not really, he, you know, so it was just a total, like, I'm not here but I'm filming it.
2: Yeah, yeah, I love, I actually love that you brought that scene up because we test screened this movie like eight or nine times and that that scene was always in the movie um, from Rough Cut 1. And I remember the first Rough Cut we screened was fine. I mean, it was a C plus, B minus, maybe, maybe worse than that. I don't know, but... I remember there were a few scenes that worked, and then there was that scene. And that scene, I could see people like cringing, but kind of laugh because he, he, uh, Richard, the subject, makes a joke at the end, kind of, and it just it felt like the perfect encapsulation of what the mm-hmm. whole movie was. It's kind of sad, kind of interesting, kind of curious, and then there's a little joke at the end. Yeah,
1: right. <laughs> but correct uh, me if I'm wrong. You put that scene right after his son goes off to college, yes. and it right. kind of is like this punctuation on like. His eyes are gone, you know, right? Yes. Yeah, I mean, he was really deep in thought that day. Yeah, so, so that really did take place yes. after. so yes. mm-hmm. yeah. And by the way, the guy's son's name is Asa Spades. Yeah, Asa yeah. Spades. Asa Spades. This, <laughs> so this film is not. This yeah. film is
3: not lacking in laughter and quirkiness yeah, sure. or yeah. subtlety.
2: Sometimes, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Richard is
1: not a subtle person. He's not <laughs> subtle at all. Yeah,
3: for all the drama, like it's yeah. it's it's really
1: got a lot of laughter. Yeah. He enjoys. Karate chopping boards. Oh, oh yeah, oh yeah. That's, <laughs> that's so like the opposite of subtle. Oh yeah, yeah. <gasps> um, well, we should wrap things up soon, but I just want to. I, sorry, Matt, you might have some questions. No, no. <laughs> but I have one work. more question. It's kind of craft related. And I think applies to both of you guys, which is like when you sit down to do an interview, like what do you what do you ask? Them? What do you say to an interview subject, especially in the earlier days, to get them to say something interesting? What's the secret?
3: The interviewing is, is an art in itself. I think that you, um, an important thing is to not cut someone off um, because when you ask somebody a question, especially if you're asking to remember something, they will pause. They are searching their mind to try and give you what, they, what you're asking for, and it's important to just let that moment sit and I think a lot of times you'll watch a documentary and be like, that is such an emotional moment. And that person like is just sitting there with that thought. And it's just, like it's important not to rush into, oh, and my next question is I'll You almost th- want to help them, right? You, yes. Yes. Like, oh, like, and that's the wrong reaction. Right. The wrong right. reaction. You right. want to pick
0: up the card. Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah.
3: Yeah. There Brilliant. It is. That was brilliantly put. Thanks, dude. I think also when you start the the interview, it's nice too, when you go into a space, if you're especially for the director. Let your DP, let your crew set up. Just go spend time with your interview subject. Get to, you know talk with them. It's nice to talk with them beforehand, obviously on the mm-hmm. phone and stuff. But really, just I just try and not let them think about we're here with cameras and stuff. Get to know them at the beginning of the interview. It's nice just to talk about anything. Like at the beginning before we started doing the podcast, talking about you know just off the wall stuff. So you get in that you get in that mode, sure. and mm-hmm. then when you dive into the deep stuff, Bradley and I always position. Uh, emotional questions at pivotal times. And then we also try and follow it up a little bit with laughter so we can ease it up, you know, like mm-hmm. so someone doesn't feel like too heavy. Like, And then when you get into it, what Bradley and I do is I'm interviewing and I don't look at my questions ever. And then I'll ask Bradley, um, I'm just having a conversation because if you take it a different direction, I'm not going to say, well, my next question was this, so let's go back to that. No, right. we go down the path that we're going down and sometimes like, 30 minutes in I'm like, "Hey Bradley, where are we at, man?" And he's back there checking off stuff, mm-hmm. making sure we're not missing any points. But the the point is to keep it a conversation. It's not like I have a list of questions and this is what we're going to talk about.
1: Right, cuz Bradley as when you guys are writing this, you have things that you need to be covered by this interview.
2: Yeah, I mean, we we definitely know like certain interviews come in the timeline of making the film when like our One of our last interviews was an interview with Lori, his sister. Mm-hmm. Um, we had done an interview with her earlier, but we knew that we had this other opportunity to interview her three, three year, uh, two and a half years into making the movie. And we had a pretty good rough cut at that point. And we were like, we need these four sound bites or some variation of them. Mm-hmm. And so it was like, how do we get her to answer these in a way that feels like she's. Because we knew we knew she would probably say some of these things, but we knew we needed. It would be great to have very specific things, Mm -hmm. and also she
3: might say something that's phrased better than we could imagine. So,
1: so you never say like, can you just like tell us? I would say there's
3: probably only one time in this whole film that we actually ask somebody, "Can you talk about this? Like, can you say this for us?" Because they had already said it, but maybe they they like they said an um, yeah, an um, or they just didn't answer it the best. And we just say, like, you know, that's, that's it. Otherwise, we try and just, you can Frankenstein stuff too, like in the edit. So right. There's no point in like trying to get someone just to phrase something. It sounds canned. Right. Do you ever
1: say, just, could you just repeat that one more time? Sure.
3: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But normally, what I like to do is I'll listen to what they just said. And I'm like, okay, they almost got there. And I come back five minutes later and I'll ask them the same question in a different way and they don't realize it. Oh, you know because yeah. they got you got them warmed up they're not like i, I already told you this. no no it's like you asked
1: them about i've been it. doing this for 3 years <laughs> <laughs> my name is Lori. <laughs> <laughs> what's your name again kindomilla again yeah exactly yeah that's awesome. Uh, and were there any moments where, like, in any of your earlier edits, where your dialogue or your question was like in the edit, and you kind of like, I'm in get there that one time.
3: Um, I'm in there on the boat when Richard does something absolutely ridiculous with he the does fish. Very oh, disgusting. yeah, the yeah, eyeballs. Yeah, and I stuff. said, "What's the point of this?" And actually, and the, our editor put that in there, and it made sense for me to be in there. But for the most part, I try to not have my voice heard. I mean, I'm not a Morgan Spurlock. You know, that's not my style. His style is that, and it's great for how he does it. But if you're off camera, only use, I think only use your voice when it's appropriate.
1: Right, right. And the jinx thing, his voice, close to the end appears a lot. Yeah, and it helps.
3: You know, I think if it helps the the Mm -hmm. storytelling, then great. Well, it's because,
1: like, the filmmaker realizes that this guy is... Is guilty. Yeah. 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 Um...
0: (laughs) Do you have anything, uh, any advice you would give a young filmmaker interested in documentary? Right,
3: documentary? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you this. I never thought I'd make documentaries, and I've made two. I think that what is important is if you are going to make a documentary, you need to be interested in the subject. Because if you are not interested in the subject, um, typically these take a long time. It's a long burn and you will not make it Mm -hmm. because what's going to happen is you're going to realize it's a lot harder than I thought. You're a year and a half into it. The cut isn't where you want it to be. You still have to do more filming. There's more blah, blah, blah. You might not get paid and you won't stick it out. So Mm -hmm. like you got to be willing to look at the long term, and and it helps if like this, the magic one was very personal. (laughs) So like I was like all in. I also think it's important to tell yourself that you're not making a documentary. I would yes. put that on a billboard actually, and Bradley and I would talk yeah, about that. Yeah. You're making a movie,
2: mm-hmm. You know,
3: if you, if you think about that and say I'm making a movie, I'm telling a story, I'm not just trying to tell people facts, I'm not just trying to fill in the blanks. What do you love about a good movie? You love when you're trying to figure out as an audience member, you love being entertained, mm-hmm. you love the suspense put that in your documentary. And if you can find a way to do that, not every story, you know, documentaries, you're not, you're not scripting it, so you are given the story you're given, so there are limitations, but make it as much like a movie as possible. Right. And if you can look at it back and say, wow, that's a good movie, then you did a good job, you know?
2: Yeah. I would say um, th- this comes from a, more from a screenwriter focus because I I actually never thought I'd make documentaries either. I've made my living as a screenwriter mostly for the last seven or eight years and the muscles are different, but the skill set is the same. Mm-hmm. Or yeah. Because it it's like if you want to get in good shape, you need to do cardiovascular and you need to do weight training type thing.
0: Is that what you do? That's, mm-hmm. that's that's I why I look
3: so good. I, actually I, I, Bradley for y'all know I, he doesn't have a shirt on, he never wears a shirt. Sure, sure. He's totally ripped. Just, can't just jam- ripped jam- when you, you probably- want to be-
1: <laughs> We missed missed out on the cardiovascular joke the as a guy that it was working out with cards in his hands.
2: Yeah, I want to be known as the sexy screenwriter, yeah, the go. guy with the tightest bod uh, that also is great at final draft. But uh, t- to try and rewrite uh, Charlie the train,
1: Kaufman's pretty, pretty ripped. Yeah, it he's looks good. A, he,
2: does, he does keep it tight. Yeah. Um, no, but it, it is it is it's different muscles, but it's the same skill set. It's. Writing a script, you know, you sit in front of a a computer and you're like, okay, I really want the character to get here. Okay, I got to write this and it's not going to work and maybe it'll work and then maybe I'll figure it out. And then with a documentary, it's like, we want a character to get here, but how do we, like, we know he's going to be traveling here. We know he's got this event coming up. We know we're interviewing this subject and we know that, you know, this thing is happening. So let's write questions that mm-hmm. will get somebody to give us this little bridge. Let's go to this event, and hopefully this will happen. And then we'll add some music, and we'll we'll kind of craft the edit. Well, and it's the same. It's the same thing.
3: So with our previous documentary, is very historical, um, very different. But to Bradley's point, we knew the end, but how to get there with a nice arc is mm-hmm. still a challenge. So it doesn't matter whether you're, it's something that's un, un, unfolding in front of you mm-hmm. or already has, you still have to write it. And right. You still kind of figure out like when people are getting bored, when to like, change that plot point, when to do the twist, when the third act comes in. So it, Like I said, it's a lot of the same muscles.
0: Cool. So what's, uh, yeah, what's next for Delt yeah. and you guys?
3: So Delt um, comes out October 20th. In uh New York, October twenty seventh in LA, and then it rolls out to fifteen more cities. So we're we're thankful IFC Sundance Selects picked up uh, the film and did a nice push with it. It'll also be available
1: on demand. So um iTunes and all iTunes, cable VOD, all yeah. that good stuff. Yeah. Uh, and you yeah. guys have an, another movie on the agenda on the we each so Bradley nice. and I are working on a couple of th- like another thing
3: together. Um, there's there's some things that've been popping. Yeah. We're um, pitching right now. We're a, pitching on a series. Oh right, TV. Yeah, yep. T- TV is the way of the future. The way of the future, <laughs> to quote Leo. Yeah, so um, working hard and, and Bradley's got some other projects. And, and you're
1: pitching docu series or scripted stuff. Right now, this it's one's together. a docu yeah. yeah,
2: we're pitching a docu series. Yeah. kind of rooted in the world of magic a little bit. Yeah.
1: Cool.
0: Sign me up, guys. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, cool guys, well, do you have a second to hang out and uh,
1: endorse with us? Yes
0: Unpaid endorsements
1: um, cool. or you want to kick us off, you got some? I uh, yeah, I have a couple small ones as usual. I will say that they're not great. <laughs> But I can't wait for you to have a great one, Or.: <laughs> I know. Well, so my first one is I think like 90% of our listeners probably know about it. <laughs> for the 10% that don't, do you, Matt, do you go anywhere to get like Holly inside Hollywood news? I mean, Deadline? Like, I don't yeah. Know, no, do you go I, to Deadline? Do I go to Deadline?
0: Yeah. No, 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 no. I'll like follow a handful of like. I do. You go to deadline.com
2: all the time.
1: Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So, I go to Deadline, I was going to mention, is like this website. I probably go to it every two or three days when I'm procrastinating. I usually read mostly just the headlines, but if you ever want to get like the pulse of like what is selling in Hollywood, then just go to deadline.com and you'll see what movies are being made, what TV shows are being made, and I mean, I mean, I know. I'm sure most people know about it. But if you are not in LA and you're like interested in, you know, working in this industry, it's just not a bad place to see. Like, what I love about it is when they describe what is selling right now. It's like usually a one sentence thing, Right.
3: Mm-hmm. you know. And
1: it's it's like basically log lines that are selling right now.
3: We were actually, yeah. Uh, we like when we sold IFC, it was like. Delt lands in Sundance Lex's hand. You know? Yeah. It's like, you know, it tells you about <laughs> oh, the yeah. deal. Waka just, waka. You know,
0: yeah. 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 I, I would double down and say I like uh with news sources, I'll subscribe to their newsletter. Hmm. So I don't have I, then I just every day I'll get it in my inbox and hmm. you it's the same thing. You just kinda you can scan headlines real quick. But
1: oh cool. Yeah, I have that somehow with tube filter, which is kind of like mm-hmm. the digital version of right. deadline. But deadline um it's not like Fandango or Rotten Tomatoes. It's not from a fan's perspective. It's, it's very like industry. An industry, industry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, if anyone doesn't know about it, it's worth checking out. Um, and then uh, the thing I mentioned to you guys before we started recording the latest episode of the Frame, which is another podcast. It's an NPR podcast. I had an episode with Greta Gerwig, where she talked about directing her first movie, Lady Bird. Is that yes. what it's called? Yeah. Um, and she talked about these tips, which I will tell you right now, so you don't even have to listen to that podcast. So. <laughs> She made everyone on set wear name tags, um, oh. which is something she got from Mike oh. Mills.
2: That's a great idea. Um,
1: and the interviewer was like, yeah, I saw two pictures of you from set. One said Greta Gerwig, and it said um, breakfast at Tiffany's. And then another one I saw said Greta Gerwig, and we can't start the fire. Wow. We, we didn't start we the didn't fire. We didn't start the fire. So it's like
0: she works. And at it the said Arc-like, we didn't start the fire. It, it, yeah.
1: So she said, "Yeah, well, every morning, like the head PA like writes a question, and everyone has to write the answer." So I had a second AD who would write a question
0: in the call sheet, and so then you would go talk to him about it afterwards, and they were always great.
1: Oh, so yeah. So her okay. question was, "What's a movie that you should love but you don't?" Oh, um, funny. And what's your go-to karaoke song? Oh, so. Nice. Um, but it is cool, especially on a feature, because she said like sometimes we'll have a new boom operator and like you don't want to be like, hey, you. You want to say, like, hey, Joe. Yeah. yeah. All boom operators are named Joe. I love the Hint. idea of name tags. Except for
2: Sean, who is our boom operator. Oh, but he's, we hated yeah.
1: Sean. But I'm talking about <laughs> generous boom. Forget <laughs> Sean. Um,
2: Selfish Sean.
1: Uh, yeah, so a tip she said she got from Spike Jones was, if you don't like the shot, just start turning off lights. Mm. Which was interesting, which is something I just did on this Converse job. Like we had these like all this these neon lights built into the set and like for some reason like the lights were off and I was like, This looks so fucking awesome. And so we had this kind of nice looking shot turned on. I was like, Jess, our DP, can you just turn off everything except for those neon lights? And it was like ten times better. It's like Blade Runner. (laughs) She also makes a playlist for every day of her shoot. Every day. That she, because she knows we're going to shoot these scenes on day one, these scenes on day two. And she just like has like a little, you know, whatever jam box or something that she plays the music and she feels like it gets kind of all the actors into Mm -hmm. the same space before a scene. And she has, I I would probably never go for this rule, but she has like a no cell phone rule on set because she said as an actor, you're like trying to get into the scene and you're like look over and some guy's just like texting. Yeah. um, You know, someone. It's probably a good
3: rule for actors. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But, you know, we're not actors, so. <laughs> I, I like the idea of, of not having cell phones. Yeah, sure I mean, works. I'm never on my cell phone because I'm so busy, but I... I I'm could... always on my cell phone. Just yeah. always. When you're directing? Yeah, I just don't pay attention to anything. <laughs> I <laughs> haven't heard that about you. <laughs> like, yeah, um, anyway. That's really great. Thanks, guys. Yeah, so the frame with Greta Gerwig is... You, it's probably not even worth listening to anymore because I told you all the best parts. Um, and then Deadline. That's what I got. What do you got, Matt? Well, guys, you want to go? I can close it
0: out. No? Yeah, yeah, I got it. Okay. Uh, so, um, I am listening to a new podcast called flash forward. Have you guys heard of this podcast? No, it's great. It's about, uh, alternative versions of the future. So the host will take like, you know, an idea like, um, like something that's happened in like present day science, like, um, like, uh, they just managed to like breed, um, lambs outside of a womb, for instance. Right. And so then mm-hmm. they'll do a little fake like documentary about being in the future and that being a thing. So like, oh you'll hear like a like, you know, you'll you'll call into um, you know, a, a natal clinic, but like you can, you know, press one if you want to have a natural birth, press two if you want to have a a exterior birth, all that sort of stuff. So they kinda of like paint the picture of what the future will be like and then do interviews about the real science of that and when what is actually going to happen in the future? So it's like it's Black
1: great. Mirror meets World War Z,
0: the book. Sure, but all but radio documentary. So it's a it's fictionalized in the beginning just to have a little bit of fun, but then they talk about the real science behind it. It's great. Huh. Oh,
4: cool. Flash, flash forward. Flash,
0: flash forward. Yeah. That's cool. really cool. Less Pretty nudity right. than I expected, but sorry. yeah, Yeah. Yeah. But it's still cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Flash forward the um, uh, Instagram is a, it's it's more totally satisfying for thing. you. Yeah. yeah oh,
1: yeah. you told me, was yeah. I supposed to remind you about an Instagram? Oh, now? yeah, I got, we got to take a picture, guys. I okay. just started on Instagram, oh. so. Okay. Oh, oh,
3: okay. All right, well, I guess um, I would recommend the Disaster Artist book. Mm. I know I just watched the trailer recently and if and if any of you have never read the book. Have any of y'all read the book? I haven't the read Disaster the book. Oh, okay, so A I read it book. in about two days. I could have read it in one. I just I just had to put it down just so it was like I could enjoy it longer and I gave it to Bradley. He instantly binged it too. Yeah. It is about you know, the room, the making of the room. Oh, yes. And that movie's coming out in December, so you have time. Like James Franco you movie. You need to read this book. One, you will feel so much better about yourself as a filmmaker. Two, <laughs> you will laugh so much to yourself and just to realize that, like, if you ever think that filmmaking is intimidating, here's a guy who actually went out and did it. He made so many mistakes. He still made a film, though. And just the stories is, it's just incredible like for instance he filmed an HD and film two cameras t- duct taped <laughs> together you can't make this stuff up so this James
2: 1990s yeah and sure. James yeah.
3: Franco is starring in the film that they bought the rights I immediately read it. it was the first book that I read and I was like I really wish I had so much money because I options I Googled <laughs> yeah. in of course James Franco sure, and I was sure. like I'm sure I'm sure um, and one other thing just be just for fun um, look up on YouTube look at it. It's this guy that looks at a car and he says, "Look at it, look at it, look at it." look That's all he says, "Look at it." And I promise you, you're just gonna—it's a hidden treasure on YouTube. It's hilarious. So for a good laugh,
2: very very funny. <laughs> all right, I'll do I'll do a couple of quick quick ones. Independent movies. I don't know if it's still in theaters anymore, but there's a movie uh, called Briggsy Bear that I just absolutely loved. It was made by uh, Kyle Mooney, Dave McCrary, um, and Kyle's on SNL. Beck Bennett is also in the movies on SNL. It's kind of like the disaster artist in a weird way. It's just about people making movies, and it was really sweet and very, very lovely. Um, a movie coming out that uh, I got to see at Sundance uh, is a movie called "Call Me by Your Name" with Armie Hammer, and it's it's a it's it, it's a it's kind of a tough sell, but it has it's a it's a really good movie for the first two acts, really good, but then the third act happens and it is just one of those there's a couple of scenes there's a scene with Michael Schulenberg who I don't know if Michael Michael Schulenberg is uh, he's a great actor he was in Jobs Mm. um, the Danny Boyle uh, Jobs movie Uh, and there's a scene with Michael Schulenberg and his son and it I just I can't get it out of my head I saw it at Sundance six or seven months ago and I still can't stop thinking about that one scene it's just powerful powerful. that's coming
3: out in theaters really soon yeah I I think
2: everyone's saying it's gonna get all the Oscar buzz and call me call me by your name the trailer's out now. It's really mm-hmm. interesting. Mm-hmm. And then, just a quick podcast shout out, just because I love uh, Pete Holmes. But Pete Holmes has a podcast called "You Made It Weird" that I really, really, uh, I really jam to. It's it just kind of it's one of those podcasts that makes you feel less alone. Um, <laughs> like when I first moved to to L.A. i i didn't I didn't know a lot of people, and so for some reason I started listening to that, and it just kind of made me feel less alone. But he has an interview with Michael Ian Black. And I've always thought Michael Ian Black is a funny, he's a funny guy, but I've never, I never really thought beyond that. Um, And then this interview with Michael Ian Black just kind of blew my mind. And it's two hours and it's just so funny. And then it gets really emotional and really deep. So check that out. That's his specialty. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So by, by the way, guys, do
1: you believe in God? (laughs) 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 Do <laughs> 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 so you guys but, want to talk about uh, God? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's we have the God yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But that is a good tip. If you want to feel lonely, move to LA. <laughs> I'll think about two years. <laughs> That's yeah. why yeah. I live yeah. in Austin. New York, though, guys. New York, makes no.
0: lonely. Yeah. New you York is the loneliest city in the world. You I would. I would say New York is more lonely. What?
3: Yeah. Because you, because you millions you of people are stacked by on people. top at
1: all times. That's why it's. in Yeah. Yeah. Who do not
0: give a fuck about you? Yeah. Yeah. In New York,
1: it's like smaller with. Three, two times as many people. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. At least you're rubbing elbows with people. Here, it's like you're alone in your apartment, you're alone in your car, you're alone. I don't know. When I come out here, man, plantation. I feel like I'm part of the crowd. Yeah, man. Just like, chill. yeah it's because you
3: got a movie, man. You got a cool movie, <laughs> <laughs> you're staying with right, friends. Yeah, yeah, right. Right. We Brad, Bradley paved the way for you. <laughs> yeah. I got a couch to crash on, man. Yeah.
0: Life is good, man. Life's <laughs> good. You played kitchen
3: putt today. I beat we you, did. it was great. Okay. Yeah.
0: <laughs> cool, guys. Well, thanks so much for being on the show. Uh, where can we find out more about you guys?
3: Um, so, as far as the film, just dealt. Deltmovie.com or on our Facebook. As far as us, I sure. mean, just yeah. IMDb. DBS,
2: man.
0: No Luke Twitter. No. Uh, Luke Quorum Bradley oh, I Jackson.
2: Am, I am at Bradley Jackson on Twitter,
3: and I am the only Luke Quorum in the United States. So just Google that and K O R E M. K O R E M. I was very thankful for that. So yeah. you know, I, I don't really do the Twitter thing, but I do Facebook sure, and sure. um and um Instagram.
1: Do you guys accept like? Facebook friend requests from people yes, you don't only know, only from like strange hot babes.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Who are clearly not
0: real. <laughs> yeah, you have yeah. one friend,
2: and you joined in 2017 yeah. two days
0: ago. I, I will say, I judge the dude like your friends who do accept them. And you're like, come on, man,
1: how stupid are you? Yeah. Well, yeah. I think I've gotten some like requests from podcast listeners. Yeah, they are like filmmakers with no mutual friends with me. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
3: I typically don't, I don't accept, accept random friend requests. At yeah. uh, first look how many mutual friend requests do we have and how many of those mutual friends do I actually feel like I'm right. a friend of. Right. But yeah.
1: also like on Facebook, if I post something, it'll be like pictures of my kid or yeah. I'll post about my projects, but it's more like, hey, does can someone recommend this thing like it's not about the breadth of the yeah. network, it's about the yeah. personal connections. Well, and we're working on kind of
0: building out the community aspects of the show a little bit more yeah. because I think really like when a fan of the show is, is friending us, I think it's really just like, Hey, I wanna talk about movies and like the
1: business and stuff with people. So right. we're working on that guy. Yeah. We'll get there. I mean, we're I'm all into interacting with our fans. Yeah, you want to yeah. have coffee? Just email me. Sure, I'll probably true. send Matt in my place. But. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll be ten minutes late. I'm sorry. Arty. We've
3: really enjoyed being on this with you guys. It's yes. been Super awesome. Fun. Thanks Thank so am. much, guys. Thank you so
0: um, much. If you want to learn more about the show or check out the show notes, you can go to justshootitpodcast.com or follow us on Twitter at just shoot it pod. and on Instagram. You'll get the hot tip on who's going to be on the show a couple weeks before the episode comes
1: out. Uh, just shoot it pot on Instagram. You can follow me at Mr. Matt Enlow. And me at Smitey Pileg. This episode was edited by Christopher Robert Gray. Yep, music was provided by the Free Music Archive and the artist Jajar. And if you could leave us a review on iTunes, that would be awesome. And we will catch you next time. Thanks, guys. Bye. Thank you. Bye.